Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing here, joined by the Sultan of Still, MindFit's own creator, founder, um, the man himself, the great golfer, the the, the Sultan myth, of the Steel, legend. the legend, the myth, <laughs> the mythical, the mythical seven-headed hydra of mindfulness, Nick Sutherland. Nick, how are you, mate? I am beyond recognition. Oh, Jesus, beyond recognition. I had to pump your tires up because you thought we were having a guest on today, but that's in two weeks. <laughs> So why did you need to pump my tyres up? Because, you know, you might have been a little bit rattled. You might have been a little bit flat just seeing me because you you said you'd done five minutes of research. So, you know, (laughs) you didn't need to. That's a a lot for us. Yeah, I know. We like to do our research on the show. Mm, mm. In in the moment. We're all about being present and in the here and now. So Absolutely, uh, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's the intro. It's the man, the myth, the legend, da, 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 whoever, whoever, the, whoever they're introducing. How are you, um, mate? What's news? What's mm, news? I don't know. Um, just chugging along. Nothing, nothing too much to report. Uh, golfing is back open now, so got a tea time tomorrow morning. That's exciting. Um, and yeah, apart from that, just, just working, working with lots of, lots of clients. Oh, had an epiphany last night. Oh, I love a good piff. Um, yeah, love a good piff. I, so I, I, I cap myself at how many clients I, I work with per week. Yeah. Um, I like to see six, I'll, 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 I'll do seven. Yeah. That's sort of seven's my limit, seven a day. Um, and I don't work Fridays because I like to move into the weekend, you know, experiencing it as the weekend, not trying to, um, not taking time to, to get into the weekend. So, and I was, uh, you know, I've had other psychologists even that I've seen and that I know, and that they, they talk about seeing 10 people a day and you know, seeing 50 clients a week or whatever. And I'm like, gee, fuck that. And um, it struck me last night. I, I, I left work and I was like, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling great after working with such wonderful people, but I'm, I'm feeling tired. And I thought I work in a different way than psychologists do, you know, being psychoeducation and cognitive retraining. They're the, they're the two sort of the nuts and the bolts of mind fit. And so I'm working my ass off in those sessions. I'm up on the whiteboard. Da, da, da. I'm like, does that make sense to you? I'm trying to work at their pace. And, you know, we're not just sort of sitting here having a casual chat about things. It's actually, there's a lot that goes into each session. And, and I don't know, I've probably known it in the back of my head, but it, it didn't really strike me consciously until last night. It's, um, yeah, really, a really good point you bring up. I was literally, I did a Facebook Live yesterday in our student group. And this is, you know, a group of people who are therapists already who are or are transitioning into becoming therapists. And um, we were talking about this because, you know, the, the actual, in one of our practitioner trainings, I talk about compassion and empathy and how to like differentiate between those two and how, because the work that, that we do is really trauma-based and, you know, we're doing work in the body and really intense emotional work. And that, like you said, like, it's not just sitting there and having a chat, like it's, it can take it out of you, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, a lot. and some of those sessions can go for, you know, one and a half, two hours, some have gone even longer. So, you know, um, so it's very, very important for us, you know, as therapists to be able to not burn out and work in a sustainable way. And, you know, one of the things I was saying yesterday is, you know, I've seen so many therapists and like you've been at it for, for way longer than me, Nick, and I'm, I take my hat off to you so much, but I see so many people come in and they go hammer and tong for six months or a year and they're burnt out <laughs> because mm. they, they haven't, but number one, they haven't looked after themselves and and because a lot of times I don't know how to. And number two, they dip into this and a lot of people see empathy as being a really positive thing and it can be, but I just, it's, it's language at the end of the day. So you can give different 
meanings to different words, but the difference I see, so, so compassion and empathy. So if someone's coming in to get help metaphorically, let's say they're in a pit and they don't know the way out of that pit and they've been stuck in it for a period of time and they need some help getting out of that pit. Empathy says, well, I'm going to jump down in the pit with you. Right now, when we do that and get back down into the pit with someone, it'll actually make them feel a little bit better. They'll be like, oh, great. Someone's down in the pit with me. They're really validating my experience. You know, they're right here next to me. I can find some real attunement. We call it there with someone. But compassion is is when we're staying up on, on the edge of that pit, but we're not getting down into it. And we're seeing that person, we're understanding them, we're understanding what they're going through, but we're starting to work with them and give them the tools so that when they're ready, they're going to be able to reach their hand out and we can give them a hand out of the pit. And what I see so many um, therapists doing is jumping in the pit with clients over and over again. And what happens then is that we have these uh, empathetic boundaries that are kind of changing all the time. And when we're in the pit with someone, those empathetic boundaries start to dissolve. And it's very hard to differentiate between what we're experiencing and what a client's experiencing. And so what happens as a therapist, we can start to then take on a lot of the emotions, the traumas, the, the thought patterns of someone we're working with. And like I said, that, that can make the client feel a little bit better, but it's not great for us. It's not, it's not sustainable for us to do that and actually in the long run it's actually not best for the client either because it's like if you're just sort of dealing with a lot of the stuff that's coming up for them yourself then it doesn't give them the long-term tools and strategies and and them growing in their capacity to be able to get out of these pits themselves when they need to does that make sense Mm. it does it does and and i'm just listening to speaking about that and it's passing through my filters as it does with everyone and and triggered a thought that i'm an empath you know so i do fear things very deeply but uh, and i was just just evaluating how i work with clients and and you know we've we've got the um the diagram of the neurological pathway that we use the hard path and the easy path and that's the the hard path is constructive thinking the easy path is destructive and destructive thinking we judge and criticize and condemn but but the hard path and constructive is we use empathy compassion and understanding so two two of those words that you just spoke about um and the understanding in there is really important too um but so for me i i'm working you know i'm an empath so i've had to learn how to protect myself from letting my energy merge with other people's and 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 I've, I've, I've done that very well in here with clients. Uh, I do still have the ability to, to, to tune into what they're feeling, but I don't get lost in their stuff. Um, and for me, I, I work in an empathetic way that um, you know, I validate what they're experiencing. And, I, and that, that term you use of the down in the pit, yeah, I, I'm just here throwing tools down to them. So I, I, I feel like using... <laughs> Watch out for the pick. It's coming yeah. down. <laughs> oh, um, that's why the motto is discomfort precedes success because you're going to get hit with all tools these tools in the head. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel personally, I use a, a a balance of empathy and compassion and understanding. I'm I'm using sort of all three at the same time. But yeah, so I've. I'm 11 years into this, so that's um, right. And so, how how did you learn that? Like, because it's so important. Because, like you said, a lot of people that get into this work are quite, you know, empathetic by nature, and a lot of people that struggle with mental illness, addiction, you know, bouts of stress, and everything are once again quite empathetic by nature. But and you know, so we. We, we can get into this work and like you said, we, we naturally can kind of feel what someone else is going through and deeply understand them because we have that nature. And that is like a, it's like a superpower. You know, it's really, really mm. cool. But, you yeah. know, like I spoke about, it can lead to burnout and all sorts of issues of taking on other one stuff. And even if you're listening to this, think about, you know, you mightn't be a therapist, but, you know, a lot of people that I work with, like, yeah, like I'll go to a catch up with friends or to a family gathering or something from work. And we'll pick up all of kind of the emotional energy that was happening in those scenarios. And we kind of go home and like feel really flat or we'll catch up with a friend and they're just venting all of their stuff and they feel better. And then we leave feeling heavy. And that's a sign that we've taken on a lot of their stuff. So I'd love to know, like, how how did you learn to have that balance where you can remain, you know, giving the tools and in that, I suppose, compassionate state as I would call it, but still being able to use those empathetic skills or or the nature that you were given? Uh, yeah, practice. I think uh, I had a mentor very early on and she said, 
something that stuck with me from the very start is you can't help people unless they're there with you. So I, I never take my work home with me. Uh, I never in between sessions think, oh, I wonder what that client's up to and how they're going. I I, I, I created and developed the capacity to, to switch off from that. Um, I, I really struggle with that, by the way. I'll be honest. I do, yeah? Yep. Okay. I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll like wake up at like four in the morning and go, what about that client from four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> are they okay like fuck no nah, so early on early on i conditioned myself it comes down to conditioning so i can yep. i used to visualize everything just going out the door with the person so they'd take everything out there with them and and yeah that would because I, I realized i had to if i still hung on to any of their stuff if i still had any connection to them i wasn't fully present for the next client so yep. i really made sure early on that i cleaned myself with that last client's energy so i was there for the next client so you just um, sort of early on when you were conditioning you would there was like a visual or a feeling that you would get kind of mm-hmm. as they walked out the door okay that's done and yeah and it was also just a checking on myself right oh, am i fully here for this next client that's coming in? yep i am so like a um, palate palate cleanser if you were having a multi yes yes, yes yeah. totally yep just a in between uh, in between clients a bit of gargling um and setting boundaries was really important so I, I guess actually going back i had to do the work myself a lot of a lot of healers therapists practitioners whatever you want to call them uh as you said are in are in the game or in the business because um they've had their own stuff and they want to help other people and it's their nature to help others and and that's that's wonderful but a lot of therapists haven't done the work on themselves so a lot of the time their stuff will get blended in to the client stuff if it's if it's similar. So it's really important for a, a therapist to have to come into a session clean, you know. And um, so clients may talk about things that I've experienced in my past, and it's not going to trigger me. I'm not going to go into sympathy for them, which is not what any therapist wants to do oh that's terrible oh yeah i had the same thing oh oh, i'm glad i'm not the only one that happened you know then the therapist making it all about them so uh i I conditioned myself very early and and made sure i i was clean um to you know sit and observe them we talk about sitting in the space between stimulus and response so the client and everything to talk about is 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 the stimulus i just sit in that space i i create a space and invite them into that space and hold that space for them. That's my job. So I'm really focused on, on being professional in here and it may not come across it sometimes when I'm you know, throwing a client under the bus, taking the piss out of them or myself or whatever, but I'm really trying to maintain that professionalism of this is your space and, and I'm here for you. And this is my role is, is, to guide and support and be here for you, to observe you, to um, make sure that you're going in the direction that is necessary. Um, it's got nothing to do with me or what I think. Or um, so remaining objective, I guess, is is that that important? Yeah, you know, a client. Or I've had every day nearly. I have clients crying in here. You know, they're, they're sort of breaking down, having that cathartic release and. And I'll sit there and I'll, I'll be smiling while watching them. And, and they look up at me with snot and tears and everything coming out. And they're like, why are you laughing? I'm like, I'm just, it's, it's a beautiful moment. I'm, I'm just so proud of you for doing this. And, yeah. and you know, I'm just honoring their experience. I'm not, I'm not getting swept away and, oh, no, don't cry. Or, you know, I'm just, I just hold that space for them to do, to do their work. So, um, you know, having an empath, I, I do feel it. Like I, sometimes I'll sit here and I'll feel myself getting emotional. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just a fleeting reminder that I'm a human as well. So it's, it's, there's a quote I loved that it said, you know, know all the, master all the techniques and know all the theories, but at the end of the day, when a human salt, when, when you touch another human, just be another human basically so so it's a balance of i'm a professional i'm trained i'm this but this is your space i'm gonna i'm gonna meet you as a human um but i'm also you know i had a client the other day i was kicked their ass literally as they walked out the door i stuck my foot on their bum and went 
go and do the work. You're not doing enough, you know. So sometimes I'll I'll take that approach with them. I'll say I'll, I'll hold them to account. Um, but yeah, other what times I'll hug them as they as they walk out the door. I'm like, you're doing an amazing job. So I know it's just being in the moment and, and being um, present with them and and holding that space, setting those boundaries, being professional whilst also being human. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Nico. You're touching on a lot of what um, I do and teach as well, funnily enough. Um, you said the word space, like we speak about holding space a lot and we kind of call it as well like a, a healing bubble. And it's like when someone enters that bubble, if the space is set up right, then once again, you can just you can be present with that person and the bubble means giving them space to express what they need to express, to bring up emotions that they need to bring up. And yeah, I'm the same as you. If someone's bringing up this big emotion and starts to cry, it's like, it sounds sadistic, but I am, I'm kind of got a bit of a smile on my face and like, it's just, you know, it's beautiful. It's really, really wonderful. Well, you imagine a, sign, a lot of sign, it's a sign that they're in the right space. You know, they, the biggest, the number one key to a, achieving a, a really positive outcome for, for someone that comes to see us is, is that rapport. And if they're, if they, if they're crying, that means there's rapport there. That means that they feel safe. They feel comfortable. They feel confident in, in you. And so, you know, they're, they're breaking down. That's, that's a great sign. Absolutely. And yeah, it's like sometimes when people get into this work, they can be a bit overwhelmed with all the learning and everything and the techniques and people who do our training, they're like, oh, there's like 40 hours of theory here. Like, you know, how am I going to remember all this? I'm like, don't remember it all. I'm like, Mm. you, you learn it, then you actually embody it within yourself. So, you know, we teach things like, you know, understanding toxic shame and, you know, the survival mechanism and owning the the addict that's inside of you and in every human, all these parts. It's like once we actually own all of those parts, then whenever a client comes in, whatever they're coming in with, we can meet them in presence because whatever they're going through, we've owned our version of it within ourselves. And that's the whole thing we do. I love that that quote you said sums it up so well. It's like we do, we learn all these things and techniques and all that, but we do all that just so we can feel present and confident in the moment with that person. Because we know when, when you're in the, the presence of someone who's really present, it's a funny sentence, but when we're in that, like you can feel that. You can feel when someone's really there for you. And it's so, it's so opening because, because so many people today in, in day-to-day life aren't. Everyone's on mm. the go. Everybody's busy. Everyone's got their phone. Everyone's, you know, always seems to have something more important that they're trying to get to. Whereas if some, you were someone that's completely present and kind of time stands still, it's a wonderful experience. And I guess I've trained my clients as well to, to come in here early and just to sit down and to, to take their time and to, to come back down from whatever they've been doing throughout the day. You know, sometimes a client will come rushing and they'll be sitting, you know, it'll take them 10 minutes, you know, to, to actually be able to listen, to get it's present. The, the, it's uh, like the, the momentum has to halt. Yeah. You know, it's like putting yeah. the brakes like on on a train and it's like yeah. really slow to stop. So they, they, they come early, they make themselves a cuppa, they'll read a book, they'll sit and just listen to the music that's playing out there, they'll, they'll close their eyes and just focus on their breath. Or if they're rushing, they'll come in and we'll do a meditation to start the session. We'll just close your eyes, you know, just four or five minutes just on focusing on the breath, just to hold them. But, I mean, I'm so grounded um, throughout the whole day in here as well. That, as you said, that that helps them to, to then get grounded because they feel that that grounded presence there, that, that's the energy and they tune into that energy because that's a stronger energy. The grounded energy is so much stronger than a, a flighty energy. So that energy in the space sort of grounds them and they're like, they, you can see them visibly settling. I've got a client who's just started a program and the discovery session, he, he was talking heaps at the start, talking heaps, da, 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 and, and I just observed him. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen here. And I noticed that he started to get quieter and quieter and quieter and then after about 20 minutes he was really listening intensely um and i was like got him yeah it's like he's here now we're we're connected we're in the same space now now we can really start doing the work and yeah yeah, he turned up yesterday and the same thing happened so yesterday was his first session in a 12-month program and 
and he walked out and said, oh, I did it again, didn't I? I started started talking at the start. And I said, yeah, that's just nervous energy. That's just, it's, it's out of your comfort zone. It's just nervous energy. It's, oh, it's a bit of anxiety. Um, that's fine. It's just, you know, you did a great job of, of self-managing that he, and this is where the EQ comes in. He had this self-awareness and he started self-managing and self-regulating and he bought himself down. I'm like, you're killing it, dude. You're going to be great. He's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's um, what we would call, yeah, attunement and, and co-regulation. That's not woo-woo. It's like if you put, if you put a whole bunch of grandfather clocks with the pendulum in a room and they're all swinging at different rates over time, all clocks will end up matching the biggest grandfather clock and that swing. And that's, that's what we're talking about here on a human level. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, if you like go to catch up for coffee with a friend who's like manic and hectic and everything, and you'll find yourself starting to get raised, you know, and the same with someone who's really kind of shut down. It's like, we're, we're always attuned to each other. And then what happens through that attunement process, we'll co-regulate somewhere. And that's why it's very important with a therapist to be able to co-regulate in that really safe and calm space. So if we come in really, or we come in really shut down and not wanting to talk, we eventually attune to that safe place where we feel open enough to to communicate what's going on, to, to feel what we need to feel. So have a think about, you know, for the listeners listening to this, have a think about you know, the energies that are at home or the, the energies that are in the office at work or wherever, um, you know, and... and you, you'll sort of gravitate to the the strongest energy there. So it's really important to to understand that so you can go and protect your own energy and you can stay in your own energy. That may do what Ryan and I do, go away for a week and, and just take a break from everything and, and tune into nature again or, or go for a walk in nature every day, you know, tune yourself down the beach or in a forest. It's just... You know, we've really got to learn to look after our own energies. Otherwise, we're out of sync with ourselves or we feel out of balance. Then we're a bit hectic and we're a bit manic and we're a bit heightened or we're a bit reactive. So, uh, and, and you hear about it with, with women especially. It's, it's uh, when with the menstruation cycle, a lot of women get in sync when they start living together. And and that I think that just proves what we're talking about yeah and this is why the the law of associations a very real thing you know if you haven't heard it the the five people that we spend the most time with we kind of become the average of that and um because you've got to imagine we're kind of attuned they're the people we're attuning with the most and so we mm. kind of get get around that vibration then we develop a similar kind of vibration and we're all kind of into the same things we have roughly the same amount of income we're into the same kind of sports and and that kind of thing and they say you know if you hang around five broke people you'll be the sixth if you hang around five rich people you'll be the sixth and we would like to think that we have more more control with that you know but it's simply not true that's why it's important to get away and spend time by ourselves because like we're affected by all the other grandfather clocks going on we're affected by them all the time and getting away is kind of not being around any of those other clocks and going okay let me get in touch with what my rhythm and my nature is. And that can take a little while because it's like you get the resonance from all the others are still kind of hanging around. But if you spend enough time alone, you can get familiar with your own rhythm again. I, I did it when I, um, when I was, my marriage was ending. I, I took off to New Zealand for two weeks. And I remember the moment it was, it was, it was like that uh, when, when I felt back in my own energy I was driving along and, and there was no phone no internet no nothing I was in a camper van driving through New Zealand just playing golf sleeping driving golf it was, it was just you know feeding my soul and you know, in such a beautiful part of the world and all of a sudden I was just driving along listening to this song and then all of a sudden it just went doink and I was like oh and I was like oh my god god really and just for three years of living with with someone who was toxic and unhealed like that an unhealed person is a very big energy there's there's a lot of energy going on there so you know i didn't do enough i didn't understand enough to to you know, i was riding her roller coaster and her energy and, and and wasn't doing enough for myself um so i sort of got lost in her energy at times um, so yeah, it was really important for me at the end of that marriage to go away and go to New Zealand and take some time. Then I went and lived in Thailand for three months and I traveled to Bhutan and Cambodia and you know, I did a lot to, to bring myself back into me and into alignment with, with who I am. And was that moment 
when that kind of dropped in, was that kind of a like, oh, I remember this guy. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. listening to Faith No More and, and there was a, a, a line in the song that said, um, the key to happiness is filling up your soul. And I, and I was just like, and as soon as, uh, and I remember my head had been really busy. It was busy, busy, noisy, noisy, noisy. And all of a sudden it got quiet and that's where I started to go, oh, and then those words in the song played and, and came into me and I, I just went, Ding! and I was like, and we're back. All right. Okay, cool. And then I could manage the end of the relationship. You know, I didn't get really toxic in the separation. I didn't ride her roller coaster. I didn't stress about money or anything. I, I came, I went through that separation really cleanly. Nice. So the end of a relationship is just such a perfect example because it's like, you know, we, we lose ourselves or, or there's a different version of us, you know, that's, and especially most relationships are, you know, codependent to a degree. And so it's like, you know, a lot of people have to work out, well, who the bloody hell am I? And whether it's three years, could be 10 years, 20 years, there's a process there of going, well, I, I need to remember who I am outside of this relationship. And that's really weird for some people. And people, a lot of people aren't up for that. And so they will just jump into another relationship because mm. like, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite, I don't, I don't, part of them is like, it's a bit scary. I don't want to go and spend time by myself and find out who I really am. I'd rather just jump back into a relationship. And then that's when we tend to bring the baggage from the last relationship into the next one. But um, once again, this comes down to people's fear of being alone at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a client come in the other day and said, how are you? I was asking everyone. She goes, I feel fucking fantastic. And I was like, yeah, awesome. Strap myself in for this one. <laughs> What's going to go in here? Um, and it was amazing. And we'd spoken the previous week about, you know, she'd gone through a separation. She'd had issues at work. There was trauma in the past. We'd spent like 21 sessions doing what we needed to do throughout her program. Uh, and then... And I had, I had, it was really interesting. I had the thought driving to work and I was like, um, I don't, I think I'm going to tell her we're going to take a break. I think I'm going to tell her, you know, I, I don't know what we're going to do today, but something's telling me I don't need to see her next, next week. I, I don't need to see her for a while. Anyway, the session came in and she, and she was talking about, um, how fantastic, but the session before she was speaking about she she's coming out of a relationship and that's just happened. They finally moved out and they've got their own spaces and whatnot. But she's talking online to this person who she's really connecting with. And I was saying, please don't just and I said this saying, just because you can, it doesn't mean you should. Right? <laughs> so so you can go and meet this other person it would be very easy just to fall into another relationship but if it's meant to be it'll still be there in a year's time it'll still be there when when you've done you know you, you this is the tip of the iceberg for you you've, you've got to go and do a lot more stuff so you can because she's got a pattern of the same partners so i said you've got to go and change your frequency your vibe your energy um so you start attracting a different person and and that's you've done that but but you've got a lot more work to do so uh, and she, so that was the week before and she came in yesterday and said i just want to check in on how you felt after a conversation last week she goes i didn't like it but you were right and i was like okay good glad you've taken that away but she said that saying just because you can it doesn't mean you should she's applied that to her food her drinking her exercise everything else and she said that was just a game changer for her. It, it it struck it just landed and split everything else apart when you said that sentence i'm like i would go back to about my 13 year old self and have them tattoo that on their forehead <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd probably do the same because yeah. i think my, my unconscious motto through life was if you can then just do it <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's it's a it's a really it's a really powerful philosophy it's, it's just because you can it doesn't mean you should there's a lot of strength there's a lot of discipline in that expression there's a lot of power there's a lot of empowerment if you can operate from that from that space yeah well a lot so, of people are like you know it's it's most important what we say no to in life 
because mm. we're conditioned to say yes to everything. And that, I, for a lot of people, that doesn't lead to us finding what feeds our soul, funnily mm. enough, because we're saying yes to so many things that don't um, when, when we should be saying no. Yeah, well, and it comes from that the, the one of the amigos that I must be loved and liked. I've got to be a people pleaser. I, I can't let anybody down. Mm. So, but you can, and you're not letting them down. If anyone, I love the quote: anyone who um, is upset by you setting a boundary was benefiting from you having none to begin with. Yeah, I like that one. So, if you set a boundary and you hold your own space, and you go, no, actually, I'm going to prioritize me for a bit. If anyone's not on board with that, then they didn't actually have you back to begin with. So, yeah, boundaries is a great way to see uh, how people really feel about you. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good thing, even if it hurts in the short term, because it's like then you realize who was uh, appreciating you more for the function that you were performing as opposed to the human being that you are. Mm. What, 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 what is this person doing for me? What am I getting out of this relationship instead of what can I give to this relationship? And if someone sets a boundary, dude, that's awesome. So happy for you. Yeah, no, I've got this. I don't, I don't actually need you. I can find someone else, but I'm just stoked that you're looking after you. You know, yeah. if you can get in, if you can give that to your relationships, you know, if your partner says, yeah, says, oh, you know, I, I think I don't think I want to, you know, I think I'd like to just chill tonight. Okay, great, you do you. It's it's um, uh, it's it's weird how caught up we get in, but 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 we always have to do what we think we need to do, and mm. and we don't. Early on, um, not long after I got clean, and yeah, I was I was setting boundaries for the first time, and yeah, it was really interesting because I'd have people messaging me all the time. It's like we've got this on this weekend. There's this party. There's this festival. There's someone's birthday. It was always fucking something. And in the past, I would either always go, or on the on the very rare occasion, I would say no. I would make up some elaborate story. <laughs> oh no! I've, but, I've got know, dinner with the queen. I'm meeting the queen today. Yeah, mum's hurt her hip, and the car needs fixing, and all this. Well, that was complete <laughs> bullshit. It's like because that's how when we're used to people pleasing, we have all this guilt come up that we can't just mm-hmm. say no. There has to be some bloody massive excuse, which is just a conditioned response. Um, but yeah, I just started um, saying no with like no reason. And it was really good. just interesting just watching all the responses because yeah, I would get some people like, hey, it's so-and-so's 30th tonight. You got to come. I'm like, nah. Like, why? What do you got on? I'm like, I'm just reading a book at home myself. <laughs> You're like, what? That's fucking stupid. Come out. Whereas other people would be like, <laughs> sick, mate. All right, we'll speak next week. And it's, you just get yeah. to know, you know, you really start to get to know. Who's who? I did it when I stopped drinking for nine months, and um, yeah, the same thing. People are like, you coming at the pub? I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm just going to watch a movie, and they're like, no, I can't edge you out. I can't. It's not a good night without you. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit codependent. <laughs> <laughs> You're relying on me, then you you can't actually have fun yourself. This is probably a healthy thing for me to take a break from alcohol and some of my friends. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, it was really interesting, and yeah, the same thing. Some would be like, "Oh, cool, man, sounds good." Yeah, actually, I might try the same thing. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so it's just that interesting which way people go. Yeah, yeah, but it's good. It's good to read that. I, I went from you know living a life of having you know of a hundred friends. I'm using air quotes mm. there for people listening to just having a handful now, and it's just different. It's a different depth of relationship. You know, it's like I have, you know, five or six close friends, but it's just such a deeper connection than a hundred surface level connections. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, I saw a T-shirt the other day that said, I like drums, motorcycles, and maybe three people. And I'm like, <laughs> shut up and take my money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a ripper. Yep. Yeah, it's that's interesting because M's M's very social. M's got a lot of friends, a lot of good friends, not just air quote friends, but she she has a lot of great connections. Uh, and she's you know her spirit animal is a butterfly, so she's a social butterfly. Where my spirit animal is a turtle, I'm quite happy just in my shell doing my my things. And you now my best mate lives on the Gold Coast. My other best mate lives in Sydney. Um, I've got. Yeah, so you know how you got these circles, uh, and so my inner circle aren't cl- close by, um, you know, in, in terms geographically. Of geographically, thank you. 
Uh, but then I've got some acquaintances who I'll see sort of on occasion, and there's people I know on, the, on sort of the outer circles. My family aren't that close by geographically, so uh, you know, M sometimes looks at me and goes, "Oh, why don't you go and why don't you, you know, outside of COVID?" And she's like, "Why don't you go out more? Why don't you catch up with your mates a bit more?" Why don't you do this? And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't need to. <laughs> I'm very." content in my own company and doing my own thing um i speak to people all day long you know i'm i'm, yeah. I'm interacting <laughs> with people all day long i'm an empath i need to go and recharge i need to ground myself um so yeah it's, it's we all have different needs and yeah. and um let's take it back to the start of the the show about um you know holding space for people and, and looking after your energy and making sure you don't ride other people's roller coasters. You know, in a relationship, it's important to understand the nature of the two people co-creating that relationship. So you can meet your own needs first and foremost as individuals. So then you're in a position where you can meet the needs of the relationship and give to the relationship instead of, once again, just taking from it all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have to deal with... Um... And it's not selfish. It's not selfish either. That's what I was about to say. A lot of people have to deal with this guilt because, you know, they've been conditioned to say, you know, I, I shouldn't just be looking after myself. I should be putting other people first. Um, so, so many females that I've worked with, especially if they're mums, just fall into oh, this. Mother's guilt. Mother's, mothers, guilt. Mothers, and, mothers and Catholics. It's just self-flagellating the cat and nine tails are whipping themselves. It's yeah, and go back to the the toxic beliefs in here. It's I must be loved and liked. I must be perfect. I must get what I want. And 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 so the attachment to those beliefs creates the suffering of, of guilt, and it's unnecessary. So we're going to retrain people and uncondition them from operating in that way. Yeah, yeah. I think that that like mother's guilt is this. You know, has this evolutionary purpose in that, you know, you should feel guilty if you're neglecting your kid because you need to keep it alive. But now based on all the conditioning and everything from society, it's like, you know, if I take fucking two hours to go and like see to my own needs and everything, 10 minutes after getting down the road, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. So it's just kind of out of control. It's like a, a fear mechanism that's turned into anxiety. It's just this mechanism that's it's gotten a bit out of control, but it, it has um, a lot of it has to do with conditioning as well. Yeah, so, so much of what we're trying to do in here is to overcome, override old, outdated human nature. Yeah, so that, that would have worked in the past, but it doesn't work for for what we're going through and what we're experiencing now. So um, mother's guilt is, yeah, it's, it's a biological driver, but it's unnecessary. I, I, two examples, I had a client the other day, and we were speaking about um, being more deliberate and intentional and conscious and present and mindful in, in our day-to-day. And she said she's been observing a lot more and she observed her two young kids and they were arguing and fighting and, and she, she felt this urge to jump in and to break it up and control it and to solve all the problems. But she took a breath and caught herself and stood back and just watched them. And within a couple of minutes, the kids had resolved the thing and we're playing happily again. And she's like, oh my God, I, I, she's in the past, I would have just jumped in and controlled it. And, but now she's actually empowering them and helping their development by staying out of it and just observing it. And because they're, they're learning to problem solve, they're learning to communicate, they're learning to, to interact with other people. And so that mother's guilt was trying to kick in, but she resolved it uh, and unconditioned herself, which was awesome, by just going, no, this isn't about me. This is about them and their kids. They're going to figure it out. Everything's going to be okay. Ah, I'm not a bad mum. I'm actually doing a great job. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I noticed it in me even uh, was yesterday, the day before, I noticed it like we're at the park, man, Tommy. And he's learning to jump a little bit. And he knows these big rocks lined up and he was jumping from rock to rock. And I'm kind of sitting just on a, on a bench at the park watching him. But I noticed there's that pull to like, if he slips on that rock, he's going to hurt himself. 
But it's like, you know, if if he slips and, and grazes his knee, that's part of learning. It's part of growing up. But I, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that pull, you know, and I can only imagine it in a mother with that mother's guilt, it's even more intense. And I'm knowing it in myself, there's that pull. And well, you, have so be, you have to be very it's aware. So it's, it is. That's, it's automatic and instinctive. Yeah. So with anything so- automatic and instinctive without awareness will generally just be pulled along and play out those patterns. So that's why the first step to change on the whiteboards in there is awareness it's, uh, and it's acceptance. It's acceptance that this is my nature. It, it is a mother's nature to be instinctively protective over their kids. And, and of course, we don't like seeing people we love, you know, suffer, but none of us get through unscathed. You know, we're all going to yeah. get dinged up physically and, and emotionally. So, and that's where so much of our growth lies. So the helicopter parents, those that are hovering and, oh, luckily I caught my kid before he, he grazed his knee, you're actually doing the child a disservice there. You're actually creating a code, codependency um, and you're not allowing them to experience life and to learn to have an emotional experience there. Yeah, yeah that's how a child builds resilience. So that's why I sat there and it's like, if he falls over, he falls over, and I'll be here if he falls over mm. to, to comfort mm-hmm. him. But I'm like, he, he he jumped all the way. There was like fucking 20 rocks, and he jumped from one to the other. Because <laughs> in my head, I'm like, he's not going to fucking make it. And he went all the way to the end. And I'm like, and he looked around. I'm like, he's giving him a clap. I'm like, buddy. <laughs> but if I went over there with that yep. initial pull, if I went over there initially and went, hey, buddy, I'll hold your hand and help you, he wouldn't have had that experience. He wouldn't have experienced that sense of satisfaction and accomplishment and it wouldn't have built in him and a sense of trust within himself. And this yeah. is where we need to stop making it about us and what we think and our anxieties and our fears. You know, when, when, when a parent is, is in anxiety, they tighten up and get controlling. That's where they become that hover parent yeah. and the helicopter parent. But yeah, the, the kid needs to develop trust and resilience in all these really important self parts, the self-worth, the self-belief, the self-discipline, the self. Otherwise, you're going to retard their emotional growth and, and there will be emotional retards in a, a literal sense. Yeah, one thing I read um, when Melissa was pregnant, which is really kind of powerful, I heard it from a few sources, but it's like, look, it's not your kid, right? It's it's <laughs> a child. It's, it's a, a human chi- being. It's a child that you know you're going to look after in the early years and make sure it's okay. But it's not your kid. Like you know, go, like Michael <laughs> Singer. Michael, Michael Singer says, "Oh, it's your kid. Go and make me an eyeball. Go and go to the room right now. Come back with an eyeball." So you can't. Life made the kid. You had you had a root. <laughs> the day we claim this ownership my child i created ego. It. the ego we fucking name our kid this like ryan jr like for god's sake <laughs> let the kid have a life um <laughs> that shit drives me on the wall um so it's like we we come in it's like this is my kid and so because of that like everything that the child does or doesn't do or everything is a reflection on us like you said, oh. which is like we're not letting the child live their life. We're trying to let live a project. It's the classic, like, you know, I wish my football career had have been better, so I'll make sure my son's is. You know, it's 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 absolute mm. classic. But that was one of the biggest teachings I had. It's not it's not your kid. Now I love him more than anything I've ever loved in this earth. But I still I still treat that as this is this is a life's child. This is a unique expression of what it is to be a human. And I'll, I'm looking after piece of the, to, uh, This is just a part of the universe that I that I helped to to create in in this form. But it is just part of the universe. And exactly, uh, if 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 we can start learning to love from a non-attached and non-ego love, it's so much healthier. Like. I look at kids or everyone like a, like a tree. Yeah. And, and it's, it's when a parent has a child, it's like, right, I'm going to tell the tree what kind of tree I'm an orange tree. So that kid has to be an orange tree. And I didn't really have enough oranges when I grew up. So I'm going to make sure that this kid has more <laughs> oranges than I had. And, and he's better and bigger and, and, and bushier than I had. And, and the oranges are going to be so much sweeter than my way. I'm like, all of that has nothing to do with that kid. It's got everything to do with you. So what if the kid's a lemon tree, you know? Uh, well, I don't like you because you're different to me, but you should be a lem- You should be an orange tree. Then you're gonna I, thought you were, I thought you were my boy. What's going on? 
yeah, just just let it grow and sit back and appreciate it. And okay, you're going to need to guide it. You're going to need to sort of help it out along the way a bit. But by and large, just fucking step back and 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 just observe it growing. Just watch in amazement and wonderment. At, oh, look at what it's doing now. Look at those branches there. None of this comparing it to me or what I was like as a child or what I think it should be. You know, so many people look at their kids and other people through that distorted lenses you know so there's there's this um lens of jumping to a conclusion and worst case scenario then it's not fair then labeling and blaming and comparing and should and and so all of a sudden there's, there's this thick pane of glass between you and your child and you're not actually looking at the reality of what the child is you look you you're searching for yourself in it and yeah. and, <laughs> and it's so terrible and 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 it was so what i've seen you know over the years it's like we try and make our child this perfect model of what we want them to be it's like you're trying to you're forcing a lemon tree to be an orange tree and then all of a sudden the lemon tree gets depressed and maybe starts drinking or using drugs and then you start guilting and shaming and making it wrong for doing that <laughs> And I've spoken about this on the podcast before. It's been a while though, but you know, one of the things that would break my heart the most is I would speak to a parent who'd come in and talk and they'd, you know, their son or daughter's on drugs and they'd tell me the story. And it's like, yeah, well, they started using, you know, this amount of years ago and there was this, you know, breakup with the dad and blah, blah, blah. And then they moved here and all that's like really just not too emotional. And then all of a sudden the biggest point was, but two weeks ago, all my friends and family found out. And like that's mm. that the fact that they they it's going to reflect poorly on them in their opinion. That's actually the biggest issue that's going on, not the fact that their son or daughter is depressed and on drugs. It's the same, same as you know in a, in the supermarket when a child is having a a perfectly appropriate childlike reaction to not getting a lolly and it starts having a meltdown and a tantrum, and the parent just grabs it and goes, "Stop it! You're embarrassing me! Stop doing this!" You know, and it, it's like could you make it any more about you or you know, you're embarrassed you're everyone's looking at you thinking you're a terrible parent and like the the ego is triggered in that moment and, and you know an emotionally healthy parent is there when they see the child having the meltdown they just sit down with it and they go they block everyone else out they don't give a fuck who or what's there or what anyone's saying they're like just there in the moment with the kid going hey Hey, we're here. Have I got this? It's okay. And they 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 work with the child instead of against it. Yeah, it's just we. A child takes years. The first many years of its life is learning to emotionally regulate because it literally can't. And so to punish a child, a, a, blo- a bloke's brain isn't developed till it's twenty five. So many, yeah. so many, you know, young men, young people can't emotionally regulate. But but you there, you stand there judging it for not being able to do that because yeah. its brain hasn't formed. It's like you know getting mad at a dog for having a shit. It's like you get a dog and you're like, you should never have a shit. And when it does, you're like, stop it, put it back in, and you crack the shits. It's like, are you, what are you doing? You know, and this is. And this is why, like, something, a topic I'm really passionate about is developmental trauma, which is these pervasive, this pervasive conditioning and trauma that happens that is very hard for people when they're an adult to kind of point back to, you know, if someone's mm. been sexually abused or physically abused or that kind of thing, like, it's, it's terrible and traumatic, but you can kind of point to where it was. Developmental trauma is very, very pervasive. And it's these things like are continually being made to feel wrong or not accepted for being in an emotional state is just, it leads to the shutdown of emotions in an adult. I call that death of a thousand paper cuts. Mm. It's just, it's just these tiny little splinters, you know, and, but, but they all build up over time and, and, and have, you know, you're not going to compare it to, to a, a, you know, a major trauma like sexual abuse or anything, but it's, it's it's it still becomes very problematic. But here's the thing: it can show up exactly the same in an adult. Yeah, yeah, as sexual trauma. Like, that's so they they call that now that they there's a new diagnosis called CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, which basically means we don't know where it's come from. <laughs> which is which so much of the time I found is that there's there's developmental trauma that's gone on that that the person isn't uh, aware that's of. That's awesome because. We we skirt around that in here by just going to acceptance. You know, <laughs> that we just there's going to be a lot of contributing factors. We yeah. we we 
if, if we we could spend years trying to identify every single factor and undo everything or we can just validate that this is where you are this is how you are it's not ideal it's not working for you so let's start looking at changing what is here and just you know let's accept that that you've 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 had a human existence up until now and and that's okay but let's <laughs> just imagining someone yeah. going i've had more of a lizard existence <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I tend to resonate and identify more with a koala experience like, i read it was uh, years ago someone who had all this surgery to look like a fucking leopard or something oh, and went and yes. lived with the left <laughs> yes imagine them yes. or i want to try and be human can you help yeah, it's an interesting one. Hey, did you see the um, <laughs> here's some dinner conversation? Did you see the suicide statistics came out recently? Uh, fill me in. I saw some uh, post about it, but I wasn't sure where it came from. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 big system that does the statistics. You know them. Yep. They uh, they. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, um, a government organisation. But the um, so apparently the suicide rates have dropped, which is which is wonderful news. But um, yeah, in the defence force, the uh, rates have actually been updated and, and have been more severe than um, initially thought. So uh, yeah, what, are, so, the, what so, are those stats for? Are they for twenty twenty? Uh, yes. Yes. So I haven't gone too far into them, but maybe we should look into them. And uh, uh, I don't tend to be stats driven by any mm. means, but because um, I don't like to fear monger people into looking after their mental health by. <laughs> but, but a lot, a lot of organisations do, uh, which is a bit strange. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just just interesting, that, especially with my connection to the. The armed services, it was, yeah, apparently a lot of ex-military people, more more ex-service people have committed suicide than, uh, than initially thought. Wow, okay. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look into them. I'd be interested uh, if they think that the suicide numbers dropped last year compared to the year before. Yeah, um, that's really interesting because that's not my experience. Yes, well, not mine either. And it'll be interesting to see the effects of COVID. You know, in, in a couple of years, what um, what the what the outcome of this is. What's what's your general take on how people are emotionally? What's the emotional damage, if you want to call it, that COVID's going to have? Um, that COVID's going to have or lockdown's going to have? Well, it depends how you frame the question. Yes. Yeah, they're, double, because it's they're, 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 for me, they're two, they're, they're very linked things, but they're two very different things, which I think is a lot of the problem. Okay. So, so the, what's the effect of people being in lockdown for an extended period of time going to be? Um, we don't know. Financially, it's going to take a long time to recover. Um, we also know that look, I've, I've a, uh, an ex client who, um, I caught up with a couple of weeks ago, who's built this, you know, he built a food truck business and it was, um, he'd built it up for years and years and doing really well in multiple trucks and, you know, people running them and that kind of thing. And, um, he's just been completely screwed. And the idea is, well, once everything is released from lockdown, everything will go back to normal. So like, no, it could take years again to build up a business like that. Um, it's the same with our mental health. People who have gone deep into depression, anxiety, drinking alcohol, um, people with their physical health from just eating junk food for the last year and a half. It doesn't just everyone get better when locked mm. Oh, you're all free now. Go, go back out and, you know, make money and be healthy. It doesn't work that way. There's a lagging effect and who knows how long that's going to be. And I think it's going to be damaging for the next three to five years, if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, yeah. for a lot of people. So I think it's my personal opinion that um, lockdowns are a terrible way of managing this and it's going to cause way more damage than it supposedly uh, has helped. So when you line up the the effects of lockdown versus the effects of COVID, 
which is the lesser of two evils then people dying and strains being put on the healthcare system and so on and so forth or being like uh, you know, the reality is that there, there are two evils at play it's, here yep. and, and it's which is the lesser of yeah. So look, I um the, the thing is that when we look at us, we go, okay, well, we have such low numbers and everything because lockdown has worked. So let's keep doing it. Um, I saw a really interesting graph the other day of Israel versus Sweden. So this is cases per million people. Mm. Um, both have had very different tactics when dealing with the virus. Israel has been heavy mask mandates, heavy vaccines, heavy lockdowns. Sweden hasn't. <laughs> Right. No mask mandates, no lockdowns. If you're at, at risk in that age group, then you could, you could, you know, quarantine and that kind of thing. And the cases, the graphs pretty much identical, right? Except for recently, whereas Israel's gone through the roof since it's mutated and Sweden has bugger all cases per day. So that's the kind of stuff I look at. That's actual real data of what's going on. Whereas we can't, like here, there was one person that, that, that passed away really unfortunately who was under the age of, of 20, I think. And they say, well, if one person died and we've got this many cases, if we have 10 times the cases, 10 times the amount of people in that age group will die. That's utterly incorrect. The one person that died had, I can't remember the disease, but it was severe um, disease, very, very sick, right? And if we look at other countries, that's just not the case. Certain amount of cases doesn't mean that many young people will die. So a lot of the the so-called in air quotes science being done at the minute, I just look at what's happening in other countries who are further down the line than what we are in this. Um, that's kind of what I base my opinions off. But I think lockdowns are, yeah, we're going to see ramifications for years to come. I saw Sweden versus Australia COVID deaths or something, and Sweden was through the roof compared to Australia. That's right. So that's the thing. It's, there's no doubt that if we didn't have lockdowns, there's going to be way more COVID deaths. That's, there's no doubt about that. But yeah. now Sweden are in this, this wonderful spot where most a lot of people have the antibodies. They haven't been through the lockdown, have the negative consequences of that. And now they have, you know, low, low cases. So with us, it's like we've tried to prolong the inevitable because you watch the cases go up as soon as we let people out, which we have to soon. Those cases and deaths will go up. It's just, it's unavoidable. So we've tried to avoid something that is inherently unavoidable. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I feel for the decision makers the powers that be because they're damned if they do they're damned if they don't oh mate it's it's so true like you know dan andrews our premier down here has just copped so much shit and i feel for him he's like a family man he's got kids well my kids kids will be getting bullied for the foreseeable future Mm. which i hate Mm. i hate thinking about that and at the end of the day i mean i really think he has much less power than what we think and he's um a bit of a mouthpiece uh, who, who's copying all of the all of mm. all of the shit at the minute? So it's it's a very it's a difficult situation, you know. Norway have just lifted restrictions like that and classified it as a flu seasonal disease now. So they have taken that tap, yeah. you know. So we're um, you know, it's just an interesting time. Just where we were, it's the most interesting for here in Melbourne because we're the most locked down city in the world. Um, mm. So yeah, it's you know, it, it's very hard not to because get fired up because whenever there's division. Um, it just makes it worse. People get more and more fired up. They're, they're pointing the finger at people who have different... Everyone, everyone fights for their beliefs and what they think and their opinion, and that's where it gets divisive. So it's, it'd be lovely if we could all sort of, you know, like Ram Dass says, we're all just walking each other home. You know, we're, 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 we're all on a conveyor belt. We're all going to fall off at the end of it. Let's just treat each other nicely as we can and, and ourselves. Just we're all walking each other home, man. A so, conveyor belt. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we are. We are like lemmings. We're going to tip off the cliff at some stage. So. Yeah, I'm imagining the visual I've got is we're on the conveyor belt and everyone's just fighting on the conveyor belt. Yeah. But then, but then we, when we get right near the end, we'll go, oh, crap, we shouldn't have been fighting this whole time. Totally. <laughs> and we want to hug totally. people. <laughs> there's a, I think there's, you know, there's a pro and a con to everything. Every cloud has a silver lining, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so whilst there is going to be uh, a very real ripple effect um, of COVID in terms of mental health, I think from my perspective, it's really brought a lot of people into doing the work, you know, because, because of the, the being in lockdown has been like one big meditative exercise. It's bring, brought a lot of distortions to the surface. People have had to, to really reach out and start doing the work. So, 
you know, looking at it through that lens, um, I think a lot of people are going to come out of this so much better. A lot of people are learning to uh, not be, you know, I think it was Yoda that said, don't be afraid to lose everything you love. Um, and don't, you know, the, the, the Buddhist monks spend months doing these intricate sand mandalas, and then as soon as they're completed, they just push their hands yeah. through them and wreck them. Yeah. Uh, to practice because that's an impermanence. Yeah, you know, the law of nature is one of the underpinning philosophies in the mindfulness program. Everything is impermanent, so people are in so much suffering because they're so attached to their lives and what they've created and what they've built and what they've possessed. Um, and I think if we can st- start not being afraid, it's so much easier to say than do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can learn to 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 not be afraid to let it all go, you know, we can always rebuild. We can always start again. We can, it's going to be different or whatever, but you know, that's, that's the law of nature. Everything comes, everything goes. So yeah, yeah, a lot of people are learning that lesson the hard way, but they're learning it. So that's the important bit. And so I think we're going to be, you know, as a society, I, I actually believe we'll be better off for having come through this experience. Yeah, well, any with any challenge or contract, contraction, there tends to be an expansion afterwards. And, you know, I'm, I, I feel the same thing. A lot of people that, that I'd seen were like the first couple of months of lockdown was like two bottles of wine, Netflix every night, <laughs> sleeping pills, um, you know, junk food. And then after those couple of months, they're like, I've got to fucking do something about this. <laughs> Like, yeah. what? Well, why? Why am I having? Like, yes, this is a very difficult situation, and a lot of our freedoms have been taken away. But still, like, why am I having so much trouble just just being but at home? Those, that, but those freedoms that have been taken away, we have had liberties beyond our wildest imagination for such a long time, and and you know, I don't like comparing because you're not comparing apples to apples, but we haven't grown up in dictatorship or wartime or famine or anything. We've had surplus. We have had so much. And and a a, a little bit of us, we're not allowed to go to the pub with our mates, and we have this meltdown, and and we can't can't deal with this. We we can't can't tolerate this. There is a huge lack of tolerance out there uh, and resilience, and that's what's really coming to the surface is is how unresilient we are as a society. So, yeah, but I, mean, it's, I mean, the things are leaning towards what it could be like in a dictatorship and we've never experienced that. So it's like, oh, holy shit. That's sort of so in that, in that regard, in the big picture, in the big picture, this is a very healthy thing for us. It's like bushfire in the country. You know, it, it, it doesn't look good. No one likes it, but it's actually a really healthy for, for the land, fire is a necessary part of... But, but we can't handle when that burning process means X amount of people are going to die from COVID. We can't handle that. And that's what we're trying... That's, that, but, that's, but that's where David Attenborough said, humanity is broken free and we're not living within the laws of nature. We see ourselves outside of nature. We, we, we go for a walk and go, I'm going to go for a walk in nature. Look at that tree. Look at that cow. There's nature. We don't. We forget that we're only a couple of chromosomes away from being a monkey. Mm. So we, we or a banana. We have close DNA to bananas. I love bananas, and you look like a banana. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I don't know why or how. But, um, I'm rocking with it. I'm feeling it. That light. I'm a little, a little bit bendy. Yellow. Bit bendy today. Uh, yeah, so I th- it, once again, it's all how you absorb this and how you take this and what you do with this. You know, we've been handed this situation, whether we like it or not, we, we have it and we can either do a lot with it or we can really let it sort of break us. And, and it's highlighting for me who is the bamboo and who is the oak tree, who is going with the flow, who is bending, who is adapting or who is really staying in their rigid beliefs and I think this, they're the ones that are breaking and, and, and being affected by this the most. Yeah. And it does, I don't think being the bamboo as well doesn't mean, like it means you're flexible, but it doesn't mean that you don't have some struggles. You're or passive. You don't, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. You're not passive by any means, but you're just smart. You're like, okay, you know, control the controllables. Viktor Frankl walked out of the Holocaust and said, I get to choose how I feel about this. Nelson Mandela walked out of 27 years in prison. So the I last of our freedoms. This. Yeah, is to yeah. choose how we feel in any given situation. So I don't know. It's just like 
control control the controllables. This is a bushfire going through humanity, and it doesn't feel good in the moment. But but new life will spring from this, and, and there'll be regrowth. Sorry, I just <laughs> my mind when you said Nelson Mandela is like a Chris Rock bit. I think it's Chris Rock. And yeah, he's like talking about marriage. <laughs> and he talks about Nelson Mandela. He's like, his man was 27 years in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And then he came out and he was divorced in six months. That's how hard marriage is. <laughs> uh, the, the 27 years was, uh, was a cakewalk. Compared to the six months. Because <laughs> I've had enough of this. <laughs> I'm out. Send me back. Oh man, yeah, put me back. Fuck it out. All right, let's wrap it up there, Nico. Right, let's do that. That was good. That was an, an impromptu podcast. Nick thought we're having a guest on, so we just riffed. I think we we talked about you know being being a therapist, what that's like, give people a bit of an insight, and then uh, some parenting stuff in there as well, and then we touched on some resilience around lockdown and COVID. Well, the, uh, the and the and the therapist stuff was was about us managing our energy, but there's a lot, uh, hopefully, that people can take away about how managing their own energy. So. Yes, yeah, there's some definite crossovers there. All right, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Thank you as always, Nico, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you, Rhino. Peace, everybody. Peace. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Peace.